0: This podcast is brought to you by No Supply Chain Management, a knowledge resource produced by the Department of Supply Chain Management at the W.P. Carey School of Business at Arizona State University. In his position as head of procurement and supply chain management at BP, Dave Connor is responsible for managing a worldwide supply chain characterized by significant risk. Recently, Connor was on campus for graduation, where the latest class of BP managers received the W.P. Carey MBA with an emphasis in supply chain management. No supply chain management sat in on a conversation between Mr. Connor and Professor Dan Brooks as the two discussed new developments in the supply chain discipline, managing risk in a global supplier network, and how best to prepare for a career in this challenging field. For more information on WP Carey's custom corporate MBA program, please visit wpcarey.asu.edu/customcorporate.
1: There's a quote from Hewlett Packard that says the supply chain is the battleground for the 21st century. A quote like that would be almost impossible to imagine. 20 years ago or 25 years ago that anybody would say supply chain is the battleground in market areas, free market areas. Uh, I read recently that hedge funds and emerging market funds are actually taking positions in uh, supply chains as opposed to the companies that are making changes because the supply chains show change more quickly than the companies that uh, they used to take positions in. So this has been a drastic change in the relevance and the role that supply chain plays in world commerce and in business more broadly. You've not only seen these changes, but I think you've influenced some because of the positions that you've had. And I wonder if you take a minute to just talk to us about what you've seen as some of the biggest changes in your mind. What were the most significant, and what's the impact that those changes have had?
2: Thank you, Dan. And I think you're quite right. Twenty-five years ago, or 20 or 15 years ago, I wouldn't have expected to hear that quote from Hewlett-Packard. So, indeed, I've seen a lot of changes. Um, Generally, I'd say I've seen the function change significantly from what in has been a uh, well what was an administrative function in many cases uh, responding to the business to to more of a partnership with the business um and th- I, re- I look at where the function is now um in the leadership of the business and you know we are at the leadership tables in the regions in bp and the divisions um we we've moved from Everybody can do their own thing in supply chain to a much more centralized or center-led approach in our industry. Uh, learning from other industries and, and part of that has been through our collaboration with, with ASU and learning what the best practices are in other industries. We, we must keep that focus. So I see a much more, you know, a more professional function, uh, one that we're proud to, to be in. We have Supply Chain Masters now, we have Supply Chain Degrees, um, we have a whole range of courses available for our professionals to, to pursue development during their careers. Uh, none of this was around um, in 20 years ago.
1: You say that you have a position at the, as a partner at the leadership table. What are the aspects of that partnership that you see as most significant, especially for a global organization like BP? What are the questions that you're able to uh, provide insight on that uh, were not being addressed by procurement and supply chain, uh, say, 15 years ago?
2: Well, I'm blessed with uh, market intelligence that was not available to me um, in the past. We've developed um, a, a team of experts who, who monitor the markets and are able to provide advice to me, which I provide to the executive level leaders in the company. Uh, and probably as, as important, they provide guidance to the category teams as they're developing their sourcing strategies. So as they're doing their market sector strategy, they use the market intelligence. They, they look forward to where we, we think the market's going to go. And you know this isn't just about commodity prices. This is about loading and fabrication facilities. It's about lead time on critical equipment. All that intelligence is gathered through the category teams in part and, and through the market intelligence teams in part and is fed into our strategies. And goes into our business planning uh, across the company
1: so even for evaluating the prospective uh, return on a new venture, you would see procurement and supply chain as a key strategic partner in even deciding at that level whether or not that those steps should be taken. Would you agree with that, or is that true within bP
2: I think that's that's evolving then. We are certainly involved in, uh, in merger and acquisition preparations, um, so we have significant input. Uh, we, we are party to developing joint operating agreements to ensure that we have the right structure around how we are going to contract within those agreements to leverage the val- as much value as we can through, through those relationships.
1: So a number of changes have occurred at different levels, so for smaller firms there's certain kinds of changes in the way that you and supply chain management, but I wonder if there's things that apply in particular to a global uh, organization like BP that you see as particularly effective for improving the way that BP is able to operate
2: globally? One thing I've learned, and and fairly recently actually, is that one size doesn't fit all. We we have moved to a much more balanced portfolio in BP. So it's not just about deep water, high margin oil. It's also about gas, which is long term cash flow, relatively low margins, and uh, and unconventional such as shale and, and, and tar sands. So we are getting into areas um, of of much more complexity uh, where the supply chain is even more important. Uh, Frankly, our our cost management in the high margin areas has been relatively poor as an industry, Um, but when you start talking about low margin gas, low margin shale, you cannot afford uh, not to get it right. Uh, And we have to design our supply chain to be able to keep our costs and our overheads to a minimum while delivering safety, reducing operational risk, and creating long-term value for the company.
1: Well, one interesting comment you made is about the role of complexity, and in this portfolio you have uh, present uh, sources of energy like deep water, where a lot of the technology is relatively new, there aren't a lot of suppliers to call on, and the risk is uh, substantial. How does uh, procurement and supply chain take into account the kinds of risks that an energy company like BP has to manage effectively to be productive?
2: It's a good question. And um, you know, again, if I turn the clock back, uh, each of our individual projects, and we've got 42 on the books right now, what we term major capital projects, each of those in the past would be buying subsea equipment that would be going on the ocean floor anywhere between two and ten thousand foot depths and they would be customizing that equipment uh, as they saw fit and there would be very little standardization and effectively there would be very little reliability and if you consider the intervention costs in deep water and the risks um, not just to the environment but to reputation as we saw in Macondo, then this is something that we couldn't sustain as as an industry. Uh, so where we are now I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to say is that we've centralized um, and standardized. So we, we now focus our subsea production systems with just two suppliers, not ten suppliers as in the past, we, we rigorously manage the, the design and drive to standardization, which gives us the reliability and efficiency and safety that we require. And of course, um, you know, safety is good business. At the end of the day, we get better value uh, through these focused relationships and standardized kit.
1: With the increased complexity uh, and uh role that technology plays at this complexity. Do you find that that's affecting the portfolio of skills you're looking for when you're putting together a procurement and supply chain team that can work effectively at this strategy level? Do you have to get more specific in terms of knowledge of technology, or are you able to uh, deal with that effectively as you have in the past?
2: We have the technical experts in, in the technical teams who are part of the, uh, part of the strategy development and sourcing and then supply management efforts. So I don't want the supply chain folks to become technical experts, but I do need them to be more expert in what we do. In the past, we've, we've had the competency to, to conduct competitive tendering, uh, three bids and a buy. That's been what we've grown up with. Um, we're now into an area of much more complexity in negotiating, backed up with cost modeling, with awareness of where the market is, um, and, and building relationships, long-term, deep relationships with few suppliers. So it, it's, it's, it requires a much higher level of competence, in negotiation skills, commercial skills, and most importantly to me, our relationship skills.
1: So, do you, are you taking risk risk explicitly into consideration when you're making those kinds of decisions about with whom you partner long term?
2: In the past, I think we've generally segmented our suppliers using spend. How much we spend with our suppliers. We've talked about risk, but really it was secondary to to the to the level of spend. Uh, which we saw as the highest business impact. Um, so that would generally determine what we would call a strategic supplier in the past. Where we are now in our industry, and I believe BP is, is, is leading in this, in this area, is we se- segment by risk first. So the first lens we look through is risk. Is this a high-risk activity? What are the potential consequences of this activity? And they're the suppliers, or uh, well they're, they're the, they're the uh, categories that we put through the highest level of rigor. This is not a one-size-fits-all. So the highest-risk categories are treated quite differently than lower risk or medium risk, and we go through a, a very intensive qualification, pre-qualification, qualification process to assure ourselves that we're developing these long-term relationships with very capable suppliers. And then post award, we ensure that we have the competence to undertake the assurance that the contractors are actually delivering what they should do safely.
1: Have you seen a change in the behavior or the approach that your big suppliers take as a result of your change in behavior? Have you influenced the way that they approach this partnership by changing the way you approach this partnership?
2: I believe we we have and we can more. Um, the first thing we look at um, is to align the values of the suppliers and the company. If we haven't got the same values, if we don't have the same vision of where we can go then we're not, we're not going to have a long-term relationship and we need to manage that in a more traditional manner. Um, and there are many suppliers out there who still are in that area where they're out to maximize their returns and they really don't want a long-term partnership. Um, so we're looking for suppliers that we've got that cultural alignment with and that we have the same values. That's step one before we go into developing the, the relationship and the long-term agreements.
1: It's interesting that you would identify your values as the most important, one of the most influential aspects of uh, contract negotiations and supplier betting. Do you, do you think of that explicitly when you're doing negotiations? I mean, think about your values and the influence those will have, not just on a supplier, but really a broad network of suppliers, right? Because BP uses so many.
2: I'm in the middle of this right now Dan, we are the, the pre-qualification before we even talk about costs and, and quality uh, is around values. So we are vetting, right now we are vetting um, our rig suppliers to determine which ones we want to have in the next round where we will look at some of the more traditional measures. So first of all, we look at them through this values lens. We meet them, we sit down, we discuss with them what our values are, we ask them what theirs are, and if we feel that alignment, then they go on to the next, the next phase. It's very difficult to measure, and it's not something you can do by email or through electronic means. You really have to get face-to-face and feel each other out. It's been a bit of a chemistry test. Yeah,
1: it sounds exciting and uh, productive and challenging. This wasn't something that took place, uh, say, 15 years ago? Is that accurate?
2: I'd say it was very accurate in our industry. Uh, I believe the, the, the nuclear industry, aerospace industries were, were probably in that place in that time, but in the oil and gas it was very traditional.
1: What do you see as the most significant changes for, especially for an organization like BP that's global, that deals in a high-risk environment? What do you see as the most significant uh, changes over the next decade that would take place, in your mind?
2: Well, let's talk about you know, supply chain specifically. So what I've said is we're going to need a, a higher level of competence. Um, we are centralizing, so you know I, I need I need to have MBAs in my team. I need to have people with great commercial acumen and, and great relationship skills. Um, I see even greater use of technology in the future. Um, and I see us working with our suppliers rather than develop that technology in-house to leverage what they have, uh, which is something that we haven't always done. Uh, so, so getting that early integration with, with the suppliers, leveraging and focusing the technology to our mutual advantage is absolutely key. And I need, you know, I need the team that can deliver that.
1: So that's interesting uh, how you've seen the industry change. How about your own personal career and how that's advanced in, this, in, this, in these industries over that same period of time? What have you seen as uh, key steps in your own personal career? that have enabled you to be as successful as you have been uh, now as Head of Procurement and Supply Chain Management at a global energy firm.
2: Well thanks Dan and I've had a uh, quite an interesting career you might say which has included time on projects, time um, uh, in, in the business side uh, and operational side and a, a good degree of time out in the field. And I think it's absolutely imperative to me if if you aspire to leadership in this function that you must have time in your career working in the field operations, working alongside the suppliers and the operations folks. I I don't see how you can develop a supply chain vision without understanding how you're going to deliver that uh, to the good of the operation. So some of the things I, I've done in, in my career is I've taken a risk. Um, there weren't many people who uh, stood up and volunteered for assignments in Sudan and Somalia, which I did both in early in my career. And I, I think you differentiate yourself from, uh, from others by, by taking a challenge. It has to be the right time for you. But I, I think you, you need to push the envelope some and get out of your comfort zone. So that's one thing I, I, I did, uh, which has stood me in very good stead. Uh, the, the other thing is, at times, you, you have to look laterally. It's not always about a promotion. It's about deep confidence in parts of our function. So taking you know, lateral moves to develop yourself and grow as a professional, I think, is absolutely key.
1: What lateral moves, uh, when you look back, were there any that stood out as particularly enriching, enriching or deepening in terms of your overall competence to move forward?
2: Well, I'll give you an example. I, I was the logistics manager in the operation. So I was managing movements of rigs, seismic crews. I had boats and airplanes and helicopters. So. It was the perfect job for a, for a boy, and, and yet I, I went from that job to an analyst position in the procurement area because I saw that I had to deepen my knowledge of the marketplace and grow and develop in that area. So I went from a very exciting job to an equally exciting job, but quite different. And that's not something that was, it naturally you know, comes to many people.
1: Were there any times when you were in uh, the Sudan or uh, Somalia when you second guessed your standing up to take that position or were you truly engaged in making that the best possible return?
2: No, I think, uh, you know, I I never thought uh, (laughs) being an analyst was was going to be exciting but it was actually and it, it really stood me in good stead for my future career because I had the operational experience as much as anybody could get. Uh, So I checked that box, you know, to continue down that line would have been fun, but it wouldn't have developed me. So purposeful direction into an area of development, you know, whether it's into market intelligence or whether it's into any other part of our function, is really key, I think, for for our folks as as they grow in the career. Through developing myself, I made myself available for positions I wouldn't have been considered for. And I will always remember the day when I was on a drilling rig in northern Somalia. Uh, My wife was in Mogadishu, and I got a phone call from the head of procurement in Chevron at the time asking me if I would take up a position in procurement in San Francisco. I I knew it was all worthwhile then.
1: (laughs) That's quite a a move from an oil rig off the shore of Somalia to downtown San Francisco.
2: Absolutely. And if I hadn't developed myself, I, I wouldn't have been suitable for that position.
1: And would you say that having been off the coast of Somalia made you more effective in downtown San Francisco?
2: Absolutely, because as we developed, I I moved into actually the strategic procurement manager for for the upstream role. And I'd seen the the upstream, I'd I'd been out there, I'd touched it. So as we developed our strategies for the group, I was able to provide valuable input and insights on what was possible and what wasn't possible.
1: That's great. The road to San Francisco goes through Mogadishu. I have to make a mental note of that. Absolutely. Thanks very much. This has been a really productive uh, opportunity for us to hear from an organization that's a leader in this area. We really appreciate your time. Thanks.
0: This podcast is brought to you by No Supply Chain Management, a knowledge resource produced by the Department of Supply Chain Management at the W.P. Carey School of Business at Arizona State University.